And we're back with another episode at the Apartment Library. And this time, it's our first nonfiction that we've read for the podcast. First nonfiction, first history book, yeah. first English history I've ever read. And this was recommended by one of your coworkers, your ex-coworkers. They recommended this book, right? My friend Christian. Thank you, Christian, for this recommendation. Yeah. It was certainly an interesting book. Yeah, so it's The Greatest Traitor. The Life of Sir Roger Mortimer, Ruler of England, 1327 to 1330, by the historian Ian Mortimer. And I don't think there's any relation between Roger Mortimer and the author Ian Mortimer. Did you look that up? Yeah, well, I saw some reviews of the book and people said there's no relation between him. So I wonder, you know, did he was he drawn to this historical figure because of the Oh, we have the same last name, or is that just a coincidence? Who knows? If it is a coincidence, it's a hell of a coincidence. It just seems like there would have to be some sort of bias. Yeah. Innocuous, obviously, harmless bias, but some nonetheless to like drive the guy to because he's a historian, right? He's a professor of history and he's written a number of books on medieval history, so it's not just about the Mortimers. Yeah. After reading this book, it becomes obvious why. It can be a book in the first place. The story is absolutely bonkers. It's very, like, this is this is obviously a historical account of these real people and real events, as much as the records allow you to determine what happened. But, yeah, like you said, the story is, there's so much drama, so much crazy stuff that happens. You'd think it was someone who came up with this, but apparently this is real. <laughs> the story is real <laughs> insofar as, like I said, we have the archives and the records. And there is, based on that, or in contrast with that, there has to be a lot of conjecture, right? Like the historians have to make a lot of assumptions to get to the conclusions that they draw in these books, or even in academia to try to make sense of history, because there is simply just not. It, in many instances in the book, he says, we don't know where Roger or enter name here, where they were for these months or this couple of years. You know, just not having any information of what was happening, where they were, nothing. And then for the next four years, you have one piece of paper from one church where the guy's name and his wife was jotted down for one thing. And you have to draw all these conclusions from context, from previous context, and for from uh, records that you have of items in the future. But you have these huge lacunas of time that you've got no information for. Yeah, that's one really cool aspect of the book is just the sheer number of research hours that probably had to go into this, finding documents, tracking down archives. And yeah, just, just having the knowledge to interpret those documents and say, from this evidence, we can surmise this or we can assume that this because so-and-so's name was on this document and that means this so just the the work that probably went into writing this and the knowledge and the expertise is crazy like I would love to know how long it took the author to write this book because I would assume it was years Mm -hmm. well there is certainly a component of the author being able to write this to the extent that it is a popular history book so you can read it it reads largely like a novel 
I mean, so far as you understand that it is, you know, nonfiction, and obviously you hear the author's voice in there. But there is something to be said about the guy's ability to write. And I did, I did find the book uh, a little long-winded at times, and there were some sections that were, in my opinion, in my experience, they were, you know, in a depth of detail that kind of, you know, sent me spinning, and there was too much, so I just I ended up, like, skimming paragraphs, entire pages here and there, depending on what it was. For the most part, I think that's the only drawback I can think of in my experience reading this. And my guess would be that it would also be the case with so many of his books and other books in this genre. That, yeah, just by virtue of it being a history account of something that is so far away in time, that is so long ago, (laughs) that we have such, you could say, poor records... And it's funny to say that because in contrast with like so many other cultures, so many other places, so many other periods in time, this sort of thing is extremely well recorded, right? This period, these people. Mm-hmm. And that, draw, that, that takes me to my other point is that these are the royalty and the people around the royalty, right? They were the lords, barons, literally the prince and then king of England is a major player in this entire story and that's one of the things I, that i kept thinking throughout this book it's like if i had to tell someone what i read of history reading this book is that the royals just essentially did whatever they want and if you were a vassal if you were what's the word um a commoner i don't know yeah. they use other words yeah what yeah. did they say if you're a commoner if you're a peasant yeah you were double fucked you had no way of escaping almost certain death and horrible poverty just because people quite literally owned you i know just imagining people living in this era and just how the society was organized these people these noble persons they were just just due to the family they're born in all of a sudden they have all this land all these riches all this power and yeah at the At any moment, they can say, okay, we need to raise an army. So all of my commoners within my, you know, area. Yeah, yeah, you now have to come fight for me. Fight for this war, this conflict that I've created. You have to do this because I own you, essentially. Yeah, and if you fled or if you said no, or they would kill you and kill your family if they didn't find you. Or maybe even if they found you. You know, so it's like you have no choice in this. And they're for petty things, too. You know, like there were obviously wars and conflicts took place because of some very real, uh, or I guess, events with very real implications. But others were really petty. It was very much along the lines of, that lord looked at my wife's ass, and I didn't like that. Let's go to war. Yeah, I know. You wouldn't be able to just live a normal, peaceful life, because at any second, there could be either like a group of fighters raiding your village and burning everything, or... Yeah, you could be going through a period of poverty or half the village has to go fight for this stupid lord's, you know, issues (laughs) that they've created. So I just can't imagine living in that world. Yeah. Another thing that I noticed I didn't know before this was how much they moved around. Yeah. And this is a painful thing to do. We're talking about horse-drawn carriages 
in the shittiest roads you can think of yep. with hundreds of people. You have to carry chests full of clothes and all their... Their valuables, uh, all a lot their of them. belongings, essentially, and the, all their fucking slaves, like everybody that like followed them around and everything. And they would go to, you know, this one city, this one town, this one castle, and stay there for two months. And then the king summoned court at another city like across the country and they're like okay here we go again and take it on the oh, run do this whole thing. it's insane and just yeah all the food obviously they have to bring to feed everyone feed the horses feed the animals like there's just so much logistical stuff that had to go on whenever yeah they need to go visit someone whenever there is an army traveling across the land I just or even just the whole really, parliament. Yeah, was it just was it worth it? <laughs> you know? Fuck no, it's insanity. Like I just I can't imagine all this happening seven hundred years ago with the technology of seven hundred years ago. And yeah. it's just crazy. Yeah, just to just to know all of this stuff happened. Yeah, well, it's insane like how intense the implications were for the decisions that were made on essentially what seemed to me were pretty petty and very often capricious Ooh, motives fancy word yeah ten dollar word there <laughs> that's literally like they just felt like they wanted to do something they felt like and when i when i say they i mean you know obviously the king the queen the princes mm -hmm. but also like the earls right like the the lords that were giving uh, earldoms very much had quite the vote at parliament and they were fickle and ready to wage war against one another over what's essentially mostly land disputes and similar issues but it just it all felt so fickle and just largely pointless in many in many yeah. ways it's just like these people are literally like wasting so many resources and moving so many people over huge swaths of land to fight for some stupid thing that you know like i can't even think of an example just based on like you know how like silly these things were I obviously know. the two big items in the story were you know the uh the king's love for his two best friends at different points in history i guess and lovers uh hugh dispenser and previously uh pierced gaviston mm -hmm. and everybody didn't like that and whatnot but it's like imagine if you're you know just a middle class commoner for lack of a better term and suddenly they're like yeah you uh, better grab your pitchfork and we're going to go fight the uh, Scots or the Earl of Lancaster or the Irish because I fucking say so. Yeah. So you better get on board, son. Mm -hmm. it, it's nuts. Yeah, it really is. And I felt that, yeah, like the, the first I maybe half of the book was definitely a little bit slower because it was just a lot of setting the stage and mm -hmm. giving the background to a lot of characters. But yeah, the last, the final half, the second half, I guess, of the book was just filled with so much drama yeah. and just so much happened, like so much treacherous things, so many treacherous things, like the name of the book. It just made me think that this is a story that someone wrote, like this, someone invented this. But all of this stuff apparently happened, maybe not exactly as it's suggested in the book, because again, we're obviously limited to the documents and the accounts of what happened back then mm -hmm. but uh, i really like i the second half of the book i guess i don't know if you felt the same way but it was exciting like i was reading it with with much interest with gusto yeah no it definitely it very much feels kind of like a thriller especially after roger gets uh freed 
from the tower prison. Yeah. It's like a, yeah, it's like a an action spy movie. Oh yeah, after that's insane, you know, like they, they you know, like he pokes up with the queen and they go to France and they come back. They literally invade England mm-hmm. with their armies. They like they force they force King Edward the Second. Like they they take control essentially of yeah, like they, not like he was never Roger Mortar was was never the king. Yeah, no, they they essentially stage a coup, right? Yeah, they come back, they invade, and they depose. The king, and it's this huge drama, it's this insane history to think. I mean, obviously, you know, like it happened, like like I said, capricious. People were like one hundred percent driven by their own personal interests, even though that carried the humongous implications for like everyone around them, and they it changed the composition of everything, of government, of land denominations, and affected like the people that lived in those lands. You know, it's not something that the book touched upon but it's something that my mind kept kept going to because i kept thinking i was like these people aren't just fighting amongst themselves they're bringing you know like all the peasants they can find i mean no wonder the country couldn't get ahead if like you know there's like no time for progress if all we're doing is like killing each other left and right just you know because the nobles are they're acting up again yeah and there's always yeah there's conflicts within the country but there's also conflicts with scotland with france like there's just constant conflict and constant war like it's a miracle (laughs) humanity survived at least this part of the world's humanity so is there anything other than i guess the pace of the first part of the book that you didn't like uh, no, not really. It was just, yeah, like we mentioned, uh, some of the beginning kind of dragged a little bit. It was very, like, technical and detailed, and a lot of it I found just went over my head. Mm-hmm. So maybe someone with a bit more background knowledge on history of this era would, would have gotten more out of that part. Yeah, so I, I found I was a bit confused in some areas. Because the book does go into detail and it like goes off on a tangent on one point to explain that before it goes back to the main thread of the story. And there's just a lot of that happening. But other than that, I, I thought it was really fascinating. How about you? Other than what we talked about, was there anything you didn't like? Like I said, again, I did find it a bit long-winded at times. I think that it could have used a, a more aggressive editor's hand in there. But that is, again, kind of a nitpick. It's not a difficult book to read. It is a little long, I did find. But other than that, no. There's, in this, you know, has nothing to do with the author's work, but the number of names, my God. Mm-hmm. Like, you just can't get enough names in there. And he's just like, sometimes it's literally lists. You know, we're talking about like 300, 400 words of mostly just names being listed out. And each name is, you know, like two names and four titles and something else, you know, like it's Mm -hmm. nuts. It just became pretty obvious. It was like, okay, well, like I need to remember uh, about three or four of these names. I need to understand the relationships between three or four people, four or five people. And the rest is cannon fodder. My man, there are so many fucking names in there that... You just kind of have to accept the idea that you're not going to remember many of them. Yeah. I'm exaggerating a little bit, of course. You know, like there's probably somewhere between 10 and 20 names that kept showing up. And once, you know, like you've been given a, you you had been given enough context, you knew where they were. And if you didn't, the author was very good at reminding you who they were. 
but yeah, like it just shows the implications of the number of people involved. And another crazy thing is that like you kind of get this idea. I got this impression while reading it because the author did such a good job of humanizing these people and like depicted them in a way that made them seem so real and made them seem three-dimensional. Because obviously they're real people, but that is not necessarily an easy thing to do, which is to depict them just because they were real, right? So once Hugh Dispenser's tortured and executed i you know i knew it was coming there's literally a famous uh, i don't think it's a painting it's an engrave not a painting but either way uh of the guy being i think it was castrated or something it was, you know and they described this horrible death to this dude and it kind of came to a shock to me because like so far it seems like it all had largely been politics and nothing but like people talking and you know being pissed at each other and trying to solve things obviously in, in, in a bellicose way, but it was not to think of these people that like are most likely, you know, everything's honor and, you know, chivalry and they're, they seem civilized enough that when it comes to the point that either dispenser or even Roger at the very end, when they're drawn and quartered or hanged, you know, I was like, this is pretty fucking barbaric but of course it is it's the 1300s this is the early 1300s in england you know like that's like another thing like they they can just decide to execute people like a lot of the times they have a a quote-unquote trial and whatever but it's 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 essentially one person making the decision based on how they feel whether or not this person should live or die there's no real mm-hmm. process behind it so it's yeah just the brutality and then that happens still to this day yeah. But um, just to realize that there's no due process. There's you can't really defend yourself in a lot of cases. Like you're accused of something, so the king doesn't like you or whatever, and that's it for you. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty brutal. So yeah, even even like the lords and the earls and whoever, you're never safe either. Even though you're a nobleman or whatever, you could yeah. If the king of the day doesn't like you, that's it. Oh yeah. Especially, yeah, particularly the higher up in, in the hierarchy, I guess, the that you were, the most likely that you were to go unpunished. But it is also interesting that given that backdrop of almost endless constant violence, there is a semblance of due process. There is a semblance of justice and law that, you know, even if these barbaric acts are carried out, they do seem to have to back them up legally, right? Yeah, I think that's like a facade. Because there was one, yeah. I can't remember who it was, but it was one of like the, the main kind of noblemen. And it, it was Roger Mortimer when he was not officially king, but when he was the ruler for a yeah. little bit of time. He executed this guy with, and I don't think the guy was allowed to defend himself or anything. He just, he thought the guy did something and he... They did like a mock trial sort of thing. But at the end, Roger decided this guy is going to get executed. And I think it was mentioned in the book that that was like a big injustice that people noticed. This guy didn't deserve that fate. Mm -hmm. And there was not really any fair trial, if you want to call it that. But it still happened because Roger wanted it to. So he was pretty brutal Mm -hmm. near the end of the the book. Like you really saw the the dark side of Roger's character. And again, like you said, we don't know what these people were thinking. We don't know their thought process. But he was pretty brutal in that instance, at least. 
just yeah. executing this guy. I think that's one of the things I like the most about the book. As you're saying that, I'm thinking about how even though we don't know and we can't know for sure, the author did do a very good job of like putting me in their heads, of making me understand their issues and the conflict that they found themselves in. Enough that once it got very complicated as a story, it didn't feel so. But it absolutely is. That's why we're essentially having so much trouble, you know, describing the whole thing because we don't want to go through the story beat by beat. But it's very complicated. Just like, yeah, exactly. Just like in real life, it is. There's so many moving parts. There's so many people involved in this. There's so many repercussions to each act that, mm-hmm. yeah, I have to applaud the author for their ability to like put together such a insane reality into a logical narrative into a cohesive narrative yeah another thing i liked was the small relatively small in comparison to the rest of the story but interesting and captivating window into the invasion of ireland by the scots Mm -hmm. that i think was one of my favorite parts of the of the book just by virtue of how how interesting and how just how mind-blowing it is to me that these things happened and like while the British, who were supposedly in control of Ireland, I'm sorry, the English, while they're supposedly in control of Ireland, like Ireland was a goddamn mess and they were warring left and right and they. Famines all the time. And they, yeah, they couldn't find any sort of government amongst themselves. And then the Scots, they showed up and made things even worse. Mm-hmm. Either way, I'm sure I'm like butchering like somebody who actually like knows that that history is probably shaking their heads, but. It was particularly interesting. So, like, it, even though it's not at all the focus of the book, it did have a lot of snippets into very interesting points in history and in, in history of the British Isles during this time, of course. And so many characters that we know of, obviously, like Isabella of France, uh, Robert the Bruce, his brother, the Earl of Lancaster, and his brother. It's kind of crazy. It's kind of like an all-star cast to this thing yeah and i'm actually surprised maybe there is but i'm surprised there isn't a modern movie made of about this character roger mortimer Mm -hmm. maybe there is and then we just don't know about it or i don't know about (laughs) it but but it would be such a good story to translate into a movie Mm -hmm. complicated a lot of characters a lot of things happen but there's so much drama yeah, you definitely have to write it into a narrative. Yeah. However, the conflict that is touched upon in this book is, you know, largely the the subject of the movie Outlocking. And in the introduction, if I recall correctly, the claim was essentially that like this character was largely unknown, or you know, in comparison to you know the king and then the prince who becomes king and his wife who betrays him, Isabella. And the other characters, this Roger Mortimer seems to have been within those circles, people who are interested in this sort of thing, to have been a lesser character. And the argument, I'm sorry, the book seems to serve as an argument for why that shouldn't be the case, why this person is obviously more important if we are to take the argument of this book at face value way more important than he is given credit for. So I think, yeah, if you had to say, like, what is the point of this book? It would be like, yeah, to showcase that this man was, you know, 
crazy important in terms of the events of that period and in the life of Edward II. But it's just the crazy plot twist of this guy's life. It was insane how, you know, essentially he came back with Isabella, presumably to take the crown from a tyrant. And obviously, you know, uh, Edward in conjunction with Hugh Dispenser, they were, they were messing things up bad. But that Roger comes back, essentially takes the throne, not for himself, but they put in, you know, the uh, Edward III, Edward's son, mm-hmm. in power. And then he proceeds to do the same shit they were doing, pretty much. Yeah, he, he controls the the real king, but he's... Or he controls the official king, but he is the real king, yeah. I guess you could say, behind it, him. It became tyrannical. Yeah. They were, like, absolutely just, like, giving land to themselves and, like... Executing people. Yeah, and ruining others' lives. Yeah, so he yeah, he came in to remove the tyrant, and he himself is also a tyrant. Yeah, and died. And so so that was like, I remember when uh, my friend Chris, he, he lent me this book, and he told me there's essentially this crazy plot twist towards the end. And I was like, well, I, mean, I believe it. Reality is stranger than fiction. And that's one thing that this book does serve to, to show is, you know, that it was insanity, obviously. You know, the rules of the game were a lot different in the 1320s and 30s than they are now, or yeah. pretty much any other point in history. But still, the book was absolutely edifying. It was interesting. It did drag in some parts. But if you are interested in history, and this is like probably like the first history book you've ever read. At least in recent memory. Yeah, so, or I guess popular history. Yeah, I am not well-versed in history. And one other cool thing about, I guess you could call it another plot twist, is one of the kings, because there's like three King Edwards, right, that this book goes through? Yes. So I can't remember if it's the first or the second. Mm-hmm. I think it's the first, but the book has a chapter where, that chapter 12, and it revisits chapter 12 later on. Mm-hmm. And it, I think the first chapter 12 makes the argument that Roger Mortimer arranged for the, the assassination of, I think, the first King Edward? Do you remember which one it was? I think no. I think you're referring to the second. Okay, so whoever, which one, whichever one it okay, was. The first one is the one that died in his Scottish campaign. Okay, trying, so it's trying, the, yes, it's the one that is his son. Yes, it must be the son. Yeah. So this and this is a guy who they were Roger Mortimer and King Edward II were friends from childhood. Yeah. So this guy completely betrays him later in life, and I think that the common accepted history was that he, Roger Mortimer, arranged for assassins to go into King Edward II's cell and murder him in the cell mm-hmm. after Roger Mortimer, I guess, deposed or... Yeah, they took him. They kidnapped took him. him yeah, they, kidnapped him and, him and put him in prison. So yeah. the argument was that, okay, he, this guy was murdered in prison. But Chapter 12 revisited, it's the author, Ian Mortimer, making the argument that there's evidence to suggest that what actually happened is that they kept him alive. And they didn't murder yeah. him. So I think that's another revelation, I guess you could say, of the book, is he makes this argument that seems to go against the accepted history. Or maybe it's more accepted than it mm-hmm. appeared in the book. Again, this is the only book I've read of this historical time period, so I don't know what the other historians believe. But he proposed the argument, and he backed it up with so many pieces of evidence that, in fact, he wasn't murdered. He was kept alive behind the scenes. I think the claim had been made that Edward II had been dead by a certain point so that they could give his son, Edward III, the crown and therefore use him as a puppet and control the country via him. That was like the only one that 
the only way that Roger and Isabella could claim legitimate control over the country, right? And to like keep Parliament uh, under control and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But if I uh, if I if I remember correctly, and this is one of one of the parts of the story that like I did kind of that I may not have understood as well, but I definitely remember that yes, they made the claim in order to get control of the country through Edward the Third, but that. Edward II had to have been kept alive for a period of time because Edward III was kept blindsided. Edward III wasn't told about this. And yeah, the author had a number of claims regarding like Isabella's feelings towards that and like to, you know, like the animosity that it created between her son and her, the queen. But if I remember correctly, yeah, like he was supposed to have been falsely declared dead but kept imprisoned. Yeah, it was this whole conspiracy. Like, yeah. they, they wanted people to believe that he was dead, but in reality, he was still alive. And the only people who knew were Roger, Isabella, and they told Edward III, I guess, they told him at some point. To what end? Do you remember? I don't remember the details. And even after, right when I finished the book, I was a bit confused as to why they kept King Edward II alive. Yeah. Maybe. There was an argument made that it had a purpose. It wasn't just Roger Mortimer yeah, being I, nice. I remember that. Yeah, but I can't remember the argument <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, as to what point that served. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, neither of us can remember. So, it's uh, we're either both of us idiots or that was a weak point in the book and the argument wasn't conveyed as clearly as it could have been. Or I think maybe there was so much back and forth between certain parts of the story where different theories were offered. And the implications and the consequences are so... So unclear. And so complicated that it's yeah. impossible to say which one was it. Because, again, we um, don't know. You can't... Yeah. There's no interviews with these people. You don't know what they were thinking. So it's all people speculating as to why they did what they did. Yeah. And so, yeah, that was definitely maybe not explained enough for my level of knowledge on this topic which is essentially zero maybe people with more knowledge of how politics worked back then and and all of that stuff would immediately get why some of these things happened but yeah yeah, a lot of like the strategic tactical political things i didn't fully grasp Mm -hmm. but i i want to say to that and largely in defense of this book and this author's effort is that for people who don't have any sort of background, I mean, I I have read quite a few history books. Nothing specifically about this period. I had read something about Robert the Bruce, but that was about it. I think that as a as a commoner, you can come in pretty cold into this book, and the author does a really good job of explaining everything well enough, within reason, given how complicated the story is, how complex the story is, and gets more complex. I mean, from from page one, the thing is already nuts. And the intrigue of the main thread of the story is, yeah, straight up Hollywood thriller that surprisingly, like you said, hasn't been made into a movie. Well, expensive, I guess. And if we can shoehorn something in here, I would probably, I, I mean, I thought about it about three times while talking about this, is that, yeah, one of the reasons this sort of thing doesn't get made into a movie or maybe maybe even into a show, but medieval shows, I don't know, usually suck. All the ones that I've seen were pretty cringy. 
uh, looking at you Vikings, um, <laughs> is that they're very expensive. And like just most recently... Uh, the Last Duel. Is that what you're thinking of? Yeah, The Last Duel. It had Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. It was directed by fucking Ridley Scott. And it was a box office bomb. Like it made a fraction of what it cost. Yeah. And it was an amazing movie. Oh, it's a great movie. So, yeah, it's so sad to see those movies not getting the financial benefits that you would think would go along with such a good movie. Yeah, so Studio XX, they get a script that says, you know, let's do Roger Mortimer and this crazy intrigue, and he kidnaps the king and pretends that he's dead and becomes a tyrant himself, and there's this whole thing. You got it all, you know, romance and drama. And action, political intrigue. There's so much in this story. Yeah, like crazy violent battles that, like, you could make into awesome cinematic set pieces. And the bigwigs at Hollywood would be like, Fuck no. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to make us money, which is no, all we care it's about. No, it's going to lose us a shit ton of money. Look at the last duel. Yeah. So, yeah, that probably answers that question. That's why probably we don't see many AAA medieval adaptations yeah. nowadays, and which it's so really sad sucks. Because there's so many good ones. Like last duel, The King with Timothée, and Outlaw King is good, too. Fantastic, yeah. Those are three recent ones that we recommend if you enjoy medieval things or good movies in general yes but um it would be nice to see more of that and this the story of roger mortimer would be amazing on the big screen if done properly but yeah like you said it's expensive and so far a lot of the recent examples they don't have the financial reward for the the big producers yeah and i mean a story like this would certainly be expensive to do even even poorly you know so to do this justice yeah you would definitely need somebody who have to have a lot of faith but yeah the story you know it 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 does it for itself it's absolutely uh the main third of the story is uh, it's riveting is absolutely gripping however given that it is a popular popular history book it is or a history book in general it is somewhat muddled and all the details and that's subjective you know the author might have thrown all that in because he thought it was fascinating at many points i found myself kind of you know skimming the page or rolling my eyes you know but for the most part yes you can come into this book cold and know nothing about it and still enjoy it quite a bit for sure so yeah it's a really cool window into this era into medieval England and uh yeah the author did a really like like I said at the beginning I can't imagine the work and the hours that went into this like reading all those archival documents doing all the research and writing a story that works and that makes sense for the most part um yeah so he did a really good job and it's a part of history that it sounds like someone made this up, just all of the twists yeah. and turns and the drama and the politics. So it's a really interesting read. Like you said, some parts dragged. It was a little bit too detailed for me at some points. But again, if you like history, you'd probably want those details. So yeah, it was a different book for us, at least for me, a different book for me. Well, absolutely same. I'd never read medieval history. I've certainly orbited more toward modern stuff. Yeah, modern history, but 
I guess what you could call is like geopolitically impactful stories. I haven't read any medieval history other than this, and I did feel like I learned quite a bit, far more than you would have just by cultural osmosis or, you know, obviously watching movies. Uh, definitely gave a window into that world, into that time, and into those people's lives. I thought that that was probably the strongest point uh, in the author's effort was to humanize them and to make an argument as to why he thinks they acted the way they did and they made the decisions they made. So that, I think, it was the strongest point of the book. And also some pretty like uh, intense scenes in all ends of the spectrum. You know, you had like some crazy violence, very interesting politics of the time, the historical contrast of the political system, the, the government of the time with what we have now today. I mean, we live in Canada, so our government, our parliament is essentially modeled after theirs. So yeah, I think uh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, I wasn't sure if we were going to. did find it a little dry. At parts, but like for me, the second half of the book, it was a page turner, actually. Yeah. I was like, I was in bed for hours reading it because it was just so exciting near the end. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it is crazy to think that like all this is real, all this is real. And I mean, even like 700 years ago, it's still not that long ago. And we were behaving like absolute barbarians. Yes. So yeah, no, it is, it is true that reality is stranger than fiction. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you to Christian for lending us the book and recommending it. It was very interesting and I learned a lot. I'm glad you did. So that I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> thank you for joining us at the Apartment Library. As always, it's been a pleasure. <laughs>